you're here and looking forward to a good time of fellowship, both here in worship and outside as well. We're talking about families, and um, I thought that's an appropriate theme for Family Fun Days, and want to reemphasize that family is more than just the nuclear family, the household, that we are the family of God and their family relationships within the body, and that no one should feel left out and understand that, but... Even with all that, it's the, it's the mom-dad children that become the building block of culture, and we can't ignore that either. Does that make sense? Can't ignore that and want to focus on that this month. And so instead of a video to introduce the message this morning, I asked Pastor Tim to sing a song that I want to introduce called Supper Time. Some of you have probably heard that if you've been around a day or two. Uh, Pastor Tim pointed out about every country singer has covered this. In some, but here's why I want you to listen to the words of the song. My dad was not a, a um, vocal uh, man, didn't communicate. There's a period of time where he was a Christ follower, but he didn't talk about it. He just didn't share what was going on on the inside. But his favorite song was Supper Time. Whenever he would hear that, it would bring tears to his eyes. He would request that be sung. And I think the song captures something that's in the heart of every human being, a desire for family and a desire to share around the supper table. I want you to listen to the words and think about the message as Pastor Tim sings Supper Time. When I was just a boy in days of childhood I used to play till evening shadows come then winding down an old familiar pathway I heard my mother call and set up sun. Come home, come home, it's supper time. The I was kneeling And angel wings were winnowing the air She heard the call for supper time in heaven and I know that she is waiting for me. 
and her familiar voice I hear once more. The banquet table's ready up in heaven. It's supper time upon the golden shore. Come home, come home, it's supper time. The shadows lengthen Some of you would have no uh, context for that because you've grown up in an era of safety and um, germ-free living. I, I, um, I lived pretty risky when I was a kid. We actually drank, I know this will shock some of you, but we drank out of the garden hose. You're risking your life. When I was growing up, we could play until the streetlights came on. Anybody remember that? Mom, dad didn't care where you were. I don't know that they felt safe. They just didn't care where you were. <laughs> till, till the street lights came on and then you were to come home and uh, mom would always have supper ready for us to join around the table. There's something about supper time that scripture includes to teach us some valuable spiritual truths. And I wanna consider that for a few moments this morning, but before I do, I'm gonna take you on a little bit of a journey that will end up, it'll make sense in a little bit, but do you know we have a number of really gifted people here at Berean that are, that are using their gifts in ways that don't often get seen that we wanna give thanks for. The worship team collaborated and um, wrote the song we've been singing, Atmosphere of Mercy. I know there are other songs they're working on, a number of them have written songs on their own, and there are a number of songs that we sing here and have sung for years that Pastor Nathan has written a collection of his own songs. Gifted people, give it up for our songwriters. They're doing a great job. We also have a number of authors that I've tried to gather and if you've written a book and I don't know about it, please let me know that. But Cindy Ogden has written a book, an autobiography that talks about the grace of God in the times of storm, how when our lives are in trouble, God is still there to reach us. Jake Johnson has written a trilogy with a, um, with a prequel to go with the trilogy. All of those are available. The Fall of Edonia, King's Return, The Dark Descent, A New Dawn. It's kind of a Lord of the Rings kind of genre. And um, uh, interesting read for you, those of you that enjoy that. Kathleen Bird has also written the Advent Trilogy. 
a Christian fantasy series she's written to love in peace was the was the lead book and includes also uh, the Isles of Miadra to love and peace a hope for joy a faith to forgive truth that is beyond the lies and finding God in anime she's written a number of books that are available if you want to take advantage of that and Nick Coons has written a book in the Under the Earth series, book one, Isabel has to descend into a supernatural world to rescue someone. And then book two, Gargoth, unraveling a mysterious prophecy. And again, kind of in that mystery kind of structure. So I don't know, Nick, if I captured that all right, but it's, you wrote a lot more than that. And I'd like to make kind of a synopsis of all those books available. But this morning, Andrea Coons is working on a book, a book in the works, her first book goes through the book of, or goes through the Pentateuch, and it's a book designed to be used at mealtime with Scripture, and I've read some of the ideas. It includes Scripture, discussion, questions, a menu related to the study. The goal is to increase biblical literacy through fun meals and times together, but that once a week you would take time to perhaps um, uh, build the Tower of Babel out of those triangle sandwiches or other things that you do, build an altar of stone using apples, number of things that she's created that could be a great tool for families to use around supper time. Because I'm convinced there is something unique and powerful that happens around supper time. And it's one of Scripture's favorite illustrations of growing in your relationship to God and to one another. There's been, uh, it's been said that supper time is falling by the wayside, and I do think there's increased pressure on supper time that hasn't been there in years gone by. So before I go any further, let me make it really clear. I understand how hard it is to bring families together for a single meal. There are a lot of demands on your time. There are work schedules. There are sports activities and school events, and I get that. We are, we are empty nesters at this point, but I remember all of the challenges that go with that. So what I'm going to say this morning is in no way condemning. It's simply saying, don't forget the value of finding a time to gather together around the table as a family and share life together. Ann Fischel, executive director of the Family Dinner Project, said despite family mealtimes being hugely beneficial to kids, um, only 30% of families manage to eat together regularly. Now what's interesting, their study says 30%, but there are studies that say that 80% of families claim to eat together regularly. It's called the halo effect. So I don't know what the percentage is, but here's what I do know. After 20 years of studies, the document family dinners discovered that they're great for the body, for physical health, for brain development and academic performance, for the spirit, for mental health, and in terms of nutrition. Cardiovascular health is better in teens. There's lower fat and sugar and salt in home-cooked meals, even if you don't try that hard. More fruit, fiber, vegetables, and protein. Lower calories. Kids who grew up having family dinners, um, when they're on their own, tend to eat more healthily. The mental health benefits are incredible. Regular family dinners are associated with lower rates of depression, lower rates of anxiety and substance abuse, lower rates of eating disorders, tobacco use, and early teenage pregnancy, and higher rates of resilience and higher rates of self-esteem. And that's not one study. That all comes out of 20 years, dozens of studies to measure 
What's the difference between a family that eats together and a family that doesn't eat together? And there are measurable values that happen as a fruit of doing life together as a family. You say, well, I'm an empty nester. Well, you and your spouse need to have times together or other ways to include family dinners with the extended family. But for the nuclear family in the home, there's something that cannot be ignored in the value of sitting down at the table and eating a meal together. And I'm not talking about eating a meal at the same time. Where Bobby is watching television, Susie's on her phone, someone else is on their iPad, and all doing different things. I know it's old-fashioned, but there's something of value of sitting together around the table and eating together and having dialogue together in that context. Scripture uses mealtime to illustrate a number of spiritual truths. Our communion service is based on what? The Last Supper. Do you know that there'll be a marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven? Crystal is never, when she was little, was never a fan of dinner time for some reason. And when she discovered there was a supper in heaven, she wasn't really sure she wanted to go. <laughs> Much of Jesus' ministry happened around mealtime. There's an old gospel song I'll refer to later that simply says, Come and dine. The master calls, Come and dine. So this is about strengthening the family unit. Uh, I want you to consider what happened at mealtimes in Scripture with Jesus and think about what can happen in our homes in mealtime together. Not saying that these will always happen, but if you don't provide an atmosphere for something to happen, there are some things that will never happen. I can't make you become a Christian, but we can create an atmosphere where you can respond to the call of the Spirit. Church is about atmospheres. The home is about an atmosphere and life being spent together. So thinking about what that means, what that looks like. In Scripture, supper time becomes a time for deeper relationship. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, we quote it a lot in regard to sinners. We say to people far from God, behold, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If any man will hear his voice and open the door, he will come in and sup with you and you will sup with him. And we tell that to people far from God. If you will just open the door, he'll come in and you'll have fellowship together. But it wasn't written to lost people. It was written to the church. The seven churches of Asia, I don't believe is a prophetic declaration, but rather Revelation chapter 2 and 3 our descriptor of what the church looks like in various places today. And Revelation chapter 7 talks about the Laodicean church as the lukewarm church. Now listen to how it's described. I counsel you, Laodicea, lukewarm church, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent. Here I am, church, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And to him that overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne. It's a call of the church that's lost its identity. And let me tell you why I say lost its identity. 
Lukewarmness is not knowing who you are and what your relationship with is with Jesus. And often it get preached this way. That God wants you cold or hot, which is true, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. So I've heard that preach, that God wants you hot for him, but I'd rather have you cold against him than to be lukewarm. And that's not at all what that means. It's not saying cold is wicked and hot is good. How many of you like a nice cold beverage on a hot summer day? And in the wintertime, I like a good hot cup of coffee or cocoa. I'll tell you what, I want my coffee to be hot and I want my water in the summertime to be cold. What about iced coffee? So you have problems. What can I say? No, I... <laughs> if I'm going to have iced coffee, which I do enjoy, I don't want it lukewarm. I want it cold. I want my cold things cold and my hot things hot. Is there anyone in the house? Because when it's lukewarm, it's lost its identity. And here's what was happening in Laodicea at the time that Jesus wrote. To the north of Laodicea, Hierapolis had hot springs, and to the south, Colossae had cold springs that were clean and refreshing to drink from. So that a source of hot water, that a source of cold water. But Laodicea had ongoing problems with the water supply. They had to create aqueducts that were six miles away, and by the time the water reached Laodicea, it had become lukewarm. The hot water was no longer hot, the cold water was no longer cold, and in that travel, it was tepid, unclean, undrinkable, the kind of water that would make you sick, want to spit it out or vomit out of your mouth. So he's talking about water that's lost its identity. The hot water is no longer hot, the cold water is no longer cold, and that they don't understand who they are. So the picture is, we don't know who we are anymore. We've lost our hot, we've lost our cold, and we're living somewhere in the middle. What is the answer to that? What's the answer to losing your way, losing your identity, losing your heat, losing the cold, losing who God intended you to be? Open the door and have supper with Jesus. <laughs> Because in that, you'll repent, you'll turn from your wickedness, but it's a call to have supper with him, to open the door to him. It's a call to a deeper relationship. He will sup with you, and you will sup with him. And we forget our way, we lose our way, because we're not having supper with Jesus. You can pretend anything you want to in church, but if you have a private time with Jesus and say, and here's the cool thing, if you open the door, he will sup with you, and you will sup with him. What is that? That's not a one-way street. That's not, I'm gonna come in and deal with you. I read about um, a couple, married couple, that the mother-in-law, the husband's mother, would come over almost every night for supper. And whatever her daughter-in-law cooked, she didn't like it. Whatever her son cooked, she liked, and they would take turns. When daughter-in-law cooked, it was either too salt, not salty enough, not enough seasoning. And the last straw was on a night that the daughter-in-law had prepared roast. Now, I don't know whether you like it or not, but I'm telling you what, a good tender roast 
that's been cooked all day with potatoes and carrots and onions and a little bit of gravy on the side, put that on your plate. That's like manna from heaven. I mean, that's comfort food right there. And some of you even think this is weird, but when I have gravy on my roast, I like to garnish it with a little bit of ketchup. It just gives it a little more energy. It's just, it's just I love it that way. It's a, you can have yours your way, but I like it hot. And so she served the roast sat the plate in front of her mother-in-law, and the mother-in-law says, I know this isn't going to be any good, and without, without tasting it, gets up with the plate and scrapes it off into the trash. The husband tried to cover and say, this is the best roast you've ever made, and the wife said, the daughter-in-law said, I will never cook for you again. I'm going to tell you what would happen at our house you would be directly escorted out and never invited again in until you were zealous and repented. Because there's something that happens sitting at the table that reveals who you are and what's happening in your life. There's something that you over sharing and breaking bread food together is a primary revelation. And Jesus is saying, it's not about you worshiping him or learning about him alone. If you've lost your way, you've lost your identity, what do you need to do? Sit at the table and have supper with him. And let him sup with you. Does that mean you bring some, you know, some French fries and hamburgers? Not at all. It's about spiritually, you and Jesus, you're talking and listening. And it's back and forth interaction. Is that possible? Absolutely it is. It's a mark of evangelicalism. It's the stakeholder of Pentecostal faith is that we hear from him and talk with him. And I will tell you that in that same way that you need that spiritually, supper time will deepen family relationships. I'm not saying you have to do it every night, but I'm telling you, sitting at the table together will deepen family relationships. Is there anyone in the house? It will deepen relationships. We are the most digitally connected and relationally isolated that we have ever been. It's amazing to me. Now I have, I resisted. I'm, I'm a slow adopter sometimes. But I resisted getting one of these things because I did not want people to have that much access to me. I kind of like the idea of being on the road and the phone doesn't ring. Now I have one and it's like an appendage of mine. It's, you, where do you go? Somebody might call. And, and then you can get all the information you want to have and people are dialoguing and interacting but I've watched how often people are together and nobody's talking. I've watched a group of teenagers standing in a circle and they're all on their phones. And I'm telling you the truth, I just wanna help them build relationships. And the way I would do that is I'd put their phone on the ground and let it meet my ball peen hammer. Carol and I try pretty consistently at least once a week that she and I go out for a meal somewhere where there's not anything other than just being together and we like to go to a particular place and I'm not going to tell you where. <laughs> 
When we did this when we were little, when, uh, not when we were little, when our kids were really little, we would drive to McDonald's, that's all we could afford, and get the dollar burger and sit under a tree and, so that we'd have some time together. But in this particular place we go, I've watched old people come in. I didn't say I was one. I, every, old people are older than me. Help me this morning, this is gonna take a while. For several weeks, we watched go to the same place, watch this older couple come in. They get their food, sit at the table, and both of them are on iPads and never say a word to each other. I can tell you that's a relationship that is dead or dying. Come on, someone help me. There's got to be times that we're human, that we're interacting, that we're talking to one another. And I'm glad for all the digital connection, but I don't wanna lose the relational connection. I'm glad that we can be online and those that are watching us now or will see us in the future and in the North Chapel that we can interact that way. But I'll tell you why we don't have coffee. Someone's asked me, why don't we have coffee on the, on the North End? It's because I want one place that the chapel and the auditorium has to mix together. That if you want coffee, you gotta come down where the people are, hello? There's got to be that interaction of human experience. And in the home, the best place for that to happen is at the supper table. Social media has changed the way people interact with each other forever. And this is from a military site that's describing how to support spouses of those in the military. For good or bad, it's part of our everyday lives. The rate of technological progress is faster um, than that of the research around it. We're learning about the impact of social media as we keep up with it, and as a result, there are many unknowns about its real impact. Social media has been linked, listen to this, social media in recent studies has been linked to higher levels of loneliness, envy, anxiety, depression, narcissism, and decreased social skills. So when we have family together, meal, that all elevates. But when we're driven by social digital interaction, everything else disintegrates. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. I read a really heartwarming story. I'm sure it was true because it was on the internet. <laughs> restaurant where he came up to a counter to order, a little fast food kind of restaurant. And older lady came in by herself and placed her order and took her tray to her table and sat down. Sat there by herself and she looked depressed and the young lady who waited on her was on break for her lunch. So she got her lunch and walked over to this lady's table and said, could I eat with you? She said, oh, I would love that. They sat down together and had a meal together and out of that came a regular plan that once a month they meet together to share life together because everybody needs a human connection. And in the home, I don't have to go find someone at the restaurant to connect with. They're in my house. Come on. Deeper revelation. Deeper, I should say, deeper relationship. A deepness of relationship develops when we spend life together. I have enjoyed, and Pastor Kevin and I have talked about this, but you know one of the one of the things that I just love about Farmer's Market here on the property and what I love watching about our play area, our parents out there 
interacting with other parents while the children play. They're out there together. But farmer's market, we only have four tables and one shade space. And people get their food and they don't want to stand in the sun. And you'll watch this on Sundays with Super Sunday Family Fun Days. People will sit at a table with people they've never met before to get the shade and a table. And you know what happens? They begin to talk. Do you know what happens when they begin to talk? They begin to get to know somebody. And now they have what? A new friend. Where did it happen? By having supper together, a meal together, spending time together. I'm trying to drive home that relationships deepen. That's why we want a fellowship time, food time in all of our connect groups. Because something happens when we eat together. Second, supper time is a time for greater revelation. Not only for deeper relationship, but greater revelation. In Luke chapter 24, we've talked about this recently, but I want to revisit the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. And I love the story. They're walking along, talking about everything that's happened to Jesus on the, uh, as they're on the road, how he's crucified and all the things that happened. And Jesus walks up alongside them. And the Bible says their eyes were holden, their eyes were blinded, so they would not recognize him. So it wasn't that they weren't paying attention, but God wanted to communicate something. Don't you think he's got something to say? If Jesus walks up alongside you and the spirit blinds their minds so they don't recognize him? And he begins to talk and he teaches them about what the scripture says about Jesus. And they're walking along and the Bible says that their hearts burned in them when they walked along the way. And he's going to go on when they get to the town where they lived. He's going to go on his journey. And they want to know more. They want to know more. And they say, you've got to stay. Come in and eat with us. Now watch. I believe the Bible is intentional here. They go into the house. They sit down at the table to eat with these two disciples. And when Jesus broke bread with them. They knew who he was. Revelation came at the supper table. <laughs> I'll promise you, I'll promise you, revelation happens at the supper table. It's not always what you want to have revealed, but something will be revealed at the supper table. Some story will be told. You get to know what's happening in people's lives when they sat down, mealtime is a revelation time. Children will tell their stories, time to share experiences. Many times, many times over the years, <laughs> my eyes have been opened at supper time. Sometimes it's about me, something I don't want to hear. I shouldn't tell this. <laughs> It was supper time at our house, and our oldest was small. I've told this before, but I got a revelation about myself that I didn't like at supper time. How many of you like cucumbers first thing in the spring when they come on the vine? I don't know what you do with them, 
but we'll just slice them up, sometimes score the side, put them in a little bit of vinegar and water, and oh, those are so good. I've had them in, in mayonnaise and various ways, but it's just really good. And we had one cucumber sliced up, and it's in the vinegar water. And my son, who is about three or four, I don't know how old he was, maybe five, I don't know. He had, a, yeah, maybe five. He wanted one. There's one bowl. Limited number of slices, and I know he won't like it. And I don't want him to have it. Because I will like it. And I said, if you take one and take a bite, you're going to eat the whole thing. Little slice. He took a bite and didn't like it, and I was upset. And I made him eat the whole thing until he threw up all over the table. And you know what I learned at that moment? Because I wanted something as pathetic as a cucumber, it made me a bit of a bully. Come on. I don't have any problem admitting that. Uh, and my wife wasn't supporting me making him eat it. And so it became clear to me. <laughs> Not every revelation at the supper table is a good one. But it's a needed one. Are you hearing me? There's love that can be shared. There's joys that can be shared. There are victories that can be shared. Children will tell things they wouldn't tell any other place. It's a time of greater revelation. They didn't know who Jesus was until they sat down and had supper with Jesus. It's a time of deepening relationship, of greater revelation. And here's the last one. Supper time can be a time for needed restoration. In John chapter 21, the disciples are broken. <laughs> First time I heard that was with a young parent talking about their children who were crying and falling on the ground and carrying, said, my, my child's broken. How many have ever had a broken child? You know, they're just like, I don't know what to do with this. The pieces are everywhere. What do we do? They don't know what to do. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has shown himself alive six times prior to this event and twice prior to, twice to the disciples specifically prior to this event. Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, two other disciples are talking and Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, why does that matter? Do you remember when Peter was called? He was called to leave fishing for fish behind and start fishing for men. And they're in a place where they don't know what to do. And so Peter just says, I'm going back to what I know. I don't know what's happening here. None of this makes sense to me. I don't know how we move forward. So I'm just going to go back and do what I was doing. I'm going fishing. And the others go with him. And then Jesus appeared. It's also interesting that while they were fishing, they caught nothing. They went back, but it was fruitless. There was no benefit in it. So then Jesus says to them, hey, children, and it was, not, it was an affectionate term, not a, an insulting term, have you caught any fish? No, throw your net on the other side. Now, why is that so important? Because let me take you back 
to when Jesus called them the first time. He was teaching on the lake of Gennesaret. People were crowding around him, listening to the word of God, and used the boats of the fishermen who were washing their nets. Taught the people, and when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter, said to Simon, go back out into the deep water, let your nets down for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, we'll do it. And when they do it, they catch a large number of nets. Their nets begin to break. They signal their party, their partners, the boats begin to sink. So what, what marked his calling? A moment when they were fruitless in fishing and Jesus said, cast out your net and their nets were full. Now, and said, from henceforth, from this day forward, you will not catch fish, you will catch men. They don't know what to do. So they go back to fishing. And Jesus says, have you caught any fish? Cast your net on the other side. Do you think that had to speak to them? No one dared ask, who is that? And when they cast the net and the net is full, Peter knows who it is. They all know who it is. And Peter feels so bad, he throws himself into the water. And they're coming to shore with all this fish. And Jesus calls out to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. They're broken. They don't know what to do. They don't know what the future holds. They get there, there are coals of fire. Jesus is toasting the bread. And I believe he took some of those fish and cleaned them while they're standing there and laid the fish on the fire. Do you know what he did? He called them to the table, come and let's have breakfast. You don't need to be chewed out. You need to be restored. You're going back to what you once were. I need you to continue on what I've called you to do. And how is that restoration going to happen? By eating a meal that Jesus prepared. <laughs> I'm not a fish fan all the time. I mean, I, a lot of things I, I, I'm not a fan of, but boy, I'd have been at that table. I'd have been at that meal. And Jesus restores them. I'm just telling you, there's something restoring in broken relationships when you sit at the table and have food together. This may shock you, <laughs> but there was a minister who had odds at odds with me. I know that's shocking. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't really friendly toward him either. And I said, let's have a meal together. We sat at the table and I said, do we play nice or do we talk about the elephant in the room? He said, let's talk about the elephant. And I'm just telling you, I could have had that conversation on the phone. I could have had that conversation in a parking lot. I could have had that conversation in the foyer of a church. But there's something about breaking bread together that changes the dynamic. And there was a restoration relationally that happened that's never gone back to what it was is better than it was before. Because when you come to the table that Jesus has spread, 
restoration can happen. Broken families, trouble, (laughs) you can't. I mean, you can. You can slam your fork down and you can refuse to eat, but there is a potential for healing when we have food together. There's potential for that. There's an old song that we used to sing. It was one of my favorites as a kid called Come and Dine. Anybody remember? Hold your hand up. I know a few of you remember Come and Dine. You're really Assemblies of God if you remember Come and Dine. I mean, you go way back. How many have never heard it before? How many don't care? <laughs> Just don't care. Well, you, listen to this. It was written on this story. I love this song. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people, come and dine. With his manna he doth feed and supplies our every need. Oh, tis sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Come and dine, the master calls, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calls now, come and dine. The disciples came to land, thus obeying Christ's command. For the master called to them, come and dine. There they found their heart's desire, bread and fish upon the fire. Thus he satisfies the hungry every time. Soon the lamb will take his bride to be ever at his side. All the host of heaven will assembled be. Oh, twill be a glorious sight. All the saints in spotless white. And with Jesus, they will feast eternally. Come and dine. The master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. Do you need something? Do you need a deeper revelation? I mean, a deeper relationship, a greater revelation? Are you in need of restoration? He has a table spread. And I'm telling you, supper time in the home, supper time in the home can be if you will let it be, a place where all of those things happen as well, a place of revelation, a place of relationship, a place of restoration. So I'm not going to ask you to make a commitment to have supper. I'm just saying I believe the family that eats together will grow and stay together. Make time for family. It's supper time. And I'm going to close this way. Pastor Nathan, as you come. Bring back to where we started. Why was that song so important to my dad? Because it spoke of something he didn't have. When my dad was in the Navy, he saved his money and sent it home so that he could take a a, a trip home and see his family. And he had enough leave accumulated that he could do that. And so he had written to his parents and said, I need you to transfer that money into my account because I want to come home and see you. He had trusted them with his money and they wrote back, there is no money. We spent it all. 
He gets discharged from the Navy, goes back to Ottumwa, Iowa, walks down the road up to the home place where he knew his mom and dad would be, walks up the steps. His mom is in the kitchen making supper and she turns to her son and says to him, what are you doing here? I didn't know you were coming home. We don't have space for you. You're gonna have to go to your brother's. Can you hear how the song was a plea for something he wished he'd had but never had? He just wanted supper time. He just wanted supper time. What's your relationship with Jesus? Is he calling you to come home, to come back? This would be a great day to do that. But my primary appeal to you is that we would not neglect in our busyness and in all of the activities and the demands. I mean, I, I hate to break this to you, but it's highly unlikely your child is gonna be a pro football player. If they do, let them tithe to Berean. It's more important that occasionally they have family supper time because that's where God does some of his best work while we're sitting around the table. Would you stand with me? And let's take time just to worship the Lord together.
I met a minister for a meal once who had his 10-year-old son with him. And he made him sit at a table by himself so it would be inconvenienced with having his son at the table. You can't do supper time as a military act of discipline. Sit still, be quiet, eat with, chew all of, sure, there's time for that. But it needs to be a place that's fun because if it's not interactive and fun, there'll be no space for God to move. Create an atmosphere around the table. Jesus can sit at the table with you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Help us take the model that you have provided us with and implement that in our relationships. Ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, before you go, just a reminder, next week, Jason Stidham will be here. You will not want to miss. Jason travels the country preaching and uh, leads a large conference in the South, does a number of ministry outreaches and uh, thought it'd be great in the middle of our fun days to have him come and share with us. Be here, don't miss this, you're gonna have a great time. And let's take time to encourage and bless one another while we have some food and ice cream, hallelujah. Be encouraging to one another, God bless.